Hello, dear listeners. This is Teachers Talk Radio. Today, the topic is leadership and leaders in education. You're listening to Maud. It's the Sunday Twilight Show. It's 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 19th of February, 2023. Please join me using the chat function. Welcome. Good late afternoon and good early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 31st radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your lovely company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any potential new listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the United Kingdom since 2008, and I am a professional educator. I currently work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach both languages as well as humanities. I teach French up to KS5 and uh, Spanish, Geography and History to KS3 students. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at prof prof fl all views are my own today i would like to focus on one topic that is becoming more and more relevant to me um, in my daily working practice and the podcast and discussion will be on leadership and leaders in education this is mostly relevant to people who work in the education sector people who work in teams or groups or institutions, and the curious and savvy. So let's start, as usual, with a little bit of etymology, or at least a little bit of word meaning and definition. So what is leadership? What does it mean? Well, leadership is the action of leading a group of people or an organization. So it is a pretty generic definition. Now, what does leadership mean in a school? Because a school is a very different context. In a school, when you're a leader, you're not just addressing employees who depend on you for their livelihood. You have different types of employees first. You have a group of people who are working in the administrative, part of the school, you have the teaching staff, you have the cleaning and maintenance staff, as well as the cooking staff or the ones who are in charge of the food. So it's a lot of very different professionals you have to deal with where, when you're talking about leadership in a school. So far, so similar to any a corporation or any business or any companies. Now, the big difference when you're leadership 
in a school when you're dealing with leadership in a school is that the school leaders have to deal with parents who are neither employees nor clients and also children whether they're young adult or not they're still children most of the time if we talk about state school education so you need to, to deal with employees you need to lead your employees you need to deal with parents and you need to lead children as well so very different group of people with different needs and different levels of responsibilities so these different profiles have to be addressed and approached by the school leader we have adults children families and professionals so the leader of a school will be responsible for the well-being of his employees like any other leader in any organization but he will also or she will also be um, responsible for children and their families by extension so the decisions made by a school leader are going to impact not only his or her employees but also children and their families so there is a duty of care for anyone who is working as a leader in a company but it's even more a duty than a duty of care it's also safeguarding because legally since the children act leaders in schools have more and more legal responsibilities and very strict legal requirements so if we focus on leadership in a school we need to think about what leadership means exactly and for that i'm referring to the work by a very famous um, writer an american writer called daniel goldman daniel goldman is an american writer but also a sociologist he was born in march the 7th 1946 mr goldman is an acclaimed author and a published author and a journalist. He wrote a column for a long time, for more than 12 years actually, he, he wrote a column in the New York Times where he focused on um, developing articles about his knowledge on the brain and behavior science, behavioral science. So his most famous book is entitled emotional intelligence and we all know it it became a classic doesn't it emotional intelligence is his main uh, bestseller it's been it's been translated in many languages so in this book emotional intelligence daniel goldman describes that there are six different types of leadership and they are described as follows the six basic styles of leadership are First, coercive leadership. Second, authoritative leadership. Third, affiliative leadership. Fourth, democratic leadership. Five, pace setting leadership. And finally, six, coaching leadership. So that's the six Goldman leadership styles. Now, as a definition, you might be more familiar with the concept of a coercive or authoritative or pace-setting leadership, and you might not struggle with the meaning of these. But what about affiliative and coaching? Well, if we look at the directive or coercive uh, leadership style, it just means that you have a leader 
who is able to make fast decisions in an emergency situations, for instance, and these decisions will be followed by all. So that's the directive or the coercive leader. This is a great skill. Um, we need a lot of directive or coercive leadership when we're in a case of for instance, or when we have to make a decision on our feet. Now, what does the pace setting leadership style look like? Well, pace setting is when the leader adapts or modulates the pace that the organization needs to follow in order to complete all the necessary tasks that have been decided upon. So it's a leader who is looking ahead, who is planning, and who is very conscious of time and how to reach targets in a time frame. So I would say someone who's the master of keeping uh, deadlines. Now, what is a democratic leadership? Democratic leadership is someone who is very good at involving staff in the decision-making process. But that's a very, very difficult skill to achieve because everybody knows if you have a meeting and you ask everybody their opinion, it might take a very long time and nobody might agree in the end. So being a good democratic leader is being able to involve staff, but also control decision-making when it's democratic so that it doesn't take too much time and so that everybody feels that their voices were heard and that we reached the ultimate best decision despite not following maybe the one that some people preferred. So a very, very tricky form of leadership to establish and keep uh, acting upon in the long run because voting for every decision to make might be way too time consuming and it might also prevent change, adaptation or evolution. So democratic leadership might be one of the hardest to succeed at. Now, if I talk about the coaching leadership, you might see it as someone who's very close to the employees, has um, a lot of relationship building skills, someone who spends time listening to um, their employees, but also guiding them and getting the best out of their employees. So a coaching leader is really good at finding very good stuff and a coaching leader enables them to work at the best of their abilities. So it's someone who's going to set personalized targets to their staff and help them succeed at reaching them. So ideally, the coaching leader would be someone you would want to have as your leader. Now, obviously, if you're the leader of a school with 120 members of staff, you're not going to have the time to be coaching all of all of this all of these people work for you. So the coaching leader may not be able to be so effective in a very big organization. Now, what about the visionary leader? Well, anyone can understand what visionary means. Visionary is someone who makes decisions that are foreseeing, someone who is into modern, progressive ideas, someone who wants to guide their company or their school towards a better future. So it's someone who thinks ahead, someone who's got lots of creativity, big ideas, and wants to put them in place. So the visionary leader is sometimes said as being authoritative. 
because the visionary leader has very, very big goals to reach and is going to be quite demanding to his staff because these goals have to be met. Now, the last of the leadership styles, and maybe the, the least easy to understand or grasp when we first hear the term, is the affiliative leader. The affiliative leader is a leader who focuses on his staff's well-being. It's a leader who is reactive to feedback from the staff. However, the problem with the affiliative leader is that sometimes they also lack in keeping the staff motivated and structured enough. Because if you listen to your staff a lot, or if you spend too much time focusing on their well-being, you might let them also be unstructured and not given a clear guideline. So that's one um, negative side of the coin for the affiliative leader. This type of leader needs to know a lot before he can address an issue. And sometimes in a big corporation or a big school, again, the affiliative leader might not be able to guide everybody. So there'll be floatiness in the system, which might be detrimental. So whatever leadership style you have, there'll be pros and cons to each style. Let me remind you the leadership styles developed by Daniel Goldman directive or authoritative, pace setting, democratic, coaching, visionary, and affiliative. Now, you might think, oh, well, I'm more of a coercive leader, or I'm more of a visionary leader, or I like working for a democratic leader best. Well, the problem is, if you want to be a successful leader, or if you want to work with a successful leader, a good leader doesn't just have one style of leadership. To be a good, efficient leader, you need to use these different types of leadership, the six types, according to the situation you face. So a good leader has to be first and foremost flexible in order to be able to use these six types of leadership when the situation demands it. So Goldman's research showed that successful leaders have lots of strengths. But in order to develop these six types of leadership, a successful leader needs to be very self-aware, self-regulated, self-disciplined, motivated, but also have a lot of empathy and a lot of social skills in order to deal with his or her staff. Now, you might be thinking of all the leaders you've met in your working life and been pondering, oh, was this leader empathetic, motivated, self-disciplined, caring, and also self-motivated and self-aware? Hmm, it's a lot of quality traits there. Now, in every school that you join or work for or that your children attend, there is a leadership team. This leadership team follows some big ideas. The big ideas can be described as the ethos of the school. Every organization develops its own culture, whether it's a small uh, hairdressing salon to a big multinational that pr 
that sells products um, such as cars or uh, transistors. Every organization develops its culture and its ethos. So what is an ethos for a school? The ethos is what the school or what the organization feels like. It's the atmosphere experienced by the children, the parents, the staff. So a school's atmosphere is a good example of its ethos. If you want more generic terms, the ethos of a school is its core values, the attitudes of all its members, the belief system and the culture of the school that is predominant in the classroom, but also in the way staff interacts with the community and the local community. So if a school is connected to the community, if there's a feeling of respect, of being accepted and bonded to the environment, it will be a positive ethos. Now, the ethos is developed by the school leadership team. It reflects their vision of their work and also, I would say, their vision of mankind as an extension. There is a lot of research available online. I've looked at, and I'm going to quote, it was published in 2007. It was written by Stephen Dinham, D-I-N-H-A-M, and it's called Authoritative Leadership, Action Learning and Student Accomplishment. It's available online if you want to have a look at it. So in this research paper, there was two main factors that Stephen Dinham assessed in order to see if a school was performing correctly. These two main factors are hiring professionals who have the correct skills for the task ahead. And then the second main factor to evaluate a school's performance was educational leadership. So in order to find a good school for your children or a good school to work, if you're a teacher or an educator, you need to look at the leadership in that school and the professional, the professionals who work in this school. This research was done um, with a vast body of research and the, the papers cover educational change since the early 1960s. So if you have time, please have a look at Authoritative Leadership, Action Learning and Student Accomplishment, published in 2007, available for free download online. In his research paper, Ham described two different types of school ethos or school cultures. He talked about the positive and the negative ethos. Now, if we look at a diagram, so imagine a circle and in the middle you have the child. Every strata of influence is described. So first you start with the child and then the other sphere of influence is the parents or the families. Then you have the school. And then you go a little bit further and you go to the local area, the library, the churches, the temples, the mosques, any, any institution around that takes care of the people living in the local community. It could be a youth group, it could be scouts, it's the local community. And then the last big sphere of influence is at the national level. It can be the government, or it can be, in, in instance, in the UK, the Department for Education. 
So from the child to the government at the national level, you could also argue at the European level, if you're still in the EU, there are school ethos and visions of education. And to achieve the best performance for schools, we need to have a, a very strong school leadership. We need to have professional teachers who've been trained and know exactly how to do their jobs. We need a lot of parental engagement. We need to be able to assess children's progress to make sure that our policies are functioning. We need to make sure schools are improving in a certain framework. And then we need to gather information about performance in order to keep track of this. So this was described in Dinham's paper to measure the areas of influence in a school, whether it's positive or negative ethos. So the question is, how does the Goldman leadership styles, the six styles we, def we observed earlier, how does it impact the school community and how does it impact the ethos of a school? Well, it is clear that in order to get positive school cultures, you need leaders who have very much embraced some of these leaderships, such as coaching, authoritative, affiliative, and democratic. Because without the democratic style or the coaching style, or the affiliative style, you're not going to have a balanced leadership. And also, if you do not have enough authoritative style, the structure won't stand. It won't be built securely and it will deflate. So you need to have a very good solid combination of coaching, authoritative, affiliative and democratic. Democratic styles of leadership don't work if you don't have someone who makes sure that everything that has been agreed is being followed. So they are, I would say, symbiotic, these different types of leadership. Now, in a negative school culture or company culture, you will have leaders who are not very good at affiliative, democratic coaching styles, but really focus on coercive approaches and pace setters. Because if you give unexpected um, targets that are not well thought through, and if you're very coercive, you're going to demoralize your staff, you're going to put them in a position where they're failing at reaching their targets, and there's nothing worse than demoralized staff because they don't stay. So positive cultures have a good solid balance of coaching, authoritative, affiliative, and democratic style of leaderships. Negative school cultures have pace setter and coercion as their default setting way of being a leader. So we do not want a leader who is too intense or too individualistic or a good work workplace environments. However, I'm sure you've been at one stage in your career in such a school and it is really hard to deal with it. Now I'm going to quote Colin Harris. Um, Colin Harris has been writing about education. His uh, work is available online on uh, test.com, which is for teaching resources. And Colin Harris says, the best schools have an ethos that includes the head, the teachers, the governors, 
the kids and the parents. It seems like it's obvious, but we need to remind ourselves that we are all part of that community and it's important to work as a team. Too often, we forget to include one of the actors. It might be the parents, or it might be the teachers, or it might be the kids, but we forget to make them welcome in the decision process. The school's community is all that really matters, says Colin Harris. We would do well to ignore the contradictory advice that comes from Ofsted or the local authority or the executive head or any other person who is meddling with the school's community. We need a solid school community if we want all schools to improve. So we get to that stage where we're thinking, so what does positive leadership create when it's there? Well, positive leadership boosts employee satisfaction. If you're a good leader, people will be happy to work in your workplace. If you're a good leader, you will keep your employees. They won't just stay for a few months or just a couple of years. They will stay for the long run. And I always say, if you're looking for a school to work at or to send your children, look at the staff. Have they been there a long time? Or is it just young faces who change every year? If you don't have teacher retention, you don't have an effective leadership. Now, good leadership improves productivity. So obviously, productivity in schools is a wrong word. We are not making products. We are, we are carving the new citizens of this society. So we want them to be molded into responsible, educated, caring, respectful citizens. So we can't really measure that easily. But how do you see if a school is productive? Well, walk around at the end of the school day. See how the children behave. Are they running riot? Or are they happily discussing their day, going on to their home or to their activities or clubs? And what about their results? But first and foremost, what do they look like? Are they happy children? Because that's what matters, isn't it? Good leadership drives revenue. That's obviously for a corporation. But let's think about this. If you have a good leadership, they might make very good decision business-wise. Business so it means that they might have a bit of extra cash to spend on the children who need it the most. It might be simple. It might be just a room for students to feel at ease or, or just a big library with lots of books and welcoming chairs or armchairs, I should say, or pairs, the, the ones that the children like to sit on. Um, what about maybe good leadership allowing students to do school trips or to travel or to have contests with other schools, basketball team, um, competitions, these sort of things. So it is important to look at this if we want to see if there's a positive leadership in our school. Now, we know what good leadership looks like. It's a 
leader who is respectful of their staff, who gets the best out of their staff without endangering their mental health, uh, without adding too much workload. And good leadership is always a school where children are happy, children are progressing, parents are working together with the school, and there is less friction, as less as possible, as little as possible. Now, there was um, UK research, and they asked, they asked people who work in companies, what was the most common pitfalls of a leader? And 60% of the respondents to that survey said poor communication was the pitfall of a bad leadership. And also focusing too much on day-to-day -day issues, 55% of respondents, and strangely enough, avoiding conflict, 44%. So it seems that people do not like an evasive leader. They want a, a leader who can face conflict professionally. Only 43% of UK employees asked during the course of that survey said they trusted their management team. I find that really sad. 43% don't trust their management. It's almost half of the UK employees, and it means that they are not in a secure position when they go to work, if there is no trust, right? So we come to the very tricky part of our um, presentation on leadership and leaders. We'll mention toxic environment and the domino effect. Leadership has a lot of power and responsibilities, and leadership has a domino effect in the workplace, which means that Poor leadership will lead to bad employee experiences, which will lead to a negative workplace culture or school ethos, which will lead to low employee retention and might lead to undersubscription, students not wanting to join the school. So it is the most important part of a school, actually, the school leadership, because if it's not working, nothing will function properly. So on these words, we'll explore a little bit more what positive leadership and toxic leadership are about after the news. Dear listeners, I'll see you right there. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. STV reports that a council in Scotland could become the first to open schools for four days per week. According to the report, West Dunbartonshire Council is currently considering the proposals alongside a range of other measures as part of a bid to plug a £15 million funding. Currently, primary schools in the county are open to pupils from 9am to 3pm each day, with secondary schools running an asymmetric week with seven periods on Mondays and Tuesdays and six periods daily Wednesday to Friday. 
The new proposals would see primaries open Monday to Thursday with hours of 8.30am to 3.45pm and secondary schools running an 8 period day Monday to Thursday, beginning at 8.20am and ending at 4.10pm. The plans were shared with parents and are for the 2023-24 academic year. The other proposals being considered for education across the council are a reduction in the number of learning assistants, a review of grants for uniform, removal of breakfast clubs in primary schools and swimming lessons for pupils in primary four. Western Bartonshire Council says the plans would have no impact on teaching time or teacher numbers, but that savings would be made in costs for transport and energy usage. It does acknowledge that the proposals may impact upon childcare arrangements for parents and that consideration must be given to support vulnerable children. Plans for fifth date provision for those children is being explored. The plans are likely to find favour with unions as during June 2022's AGM for Education Institute Scotland, delegates backed a motion calling for a move to a four-day week, stating that it could improve the standard of teacher wellbeing. There is some concern, however, on the possible impact of the sort of move on those with non-teaching roles in schools. The Council will consider proposals during a meeting on March 1st 2023 before any steps to consultation can be taken. The Channel Island of Guernsey has released the finding of its latest young people survey. The results seem to indicate that vaping in schools is on the rise and that there has been an increase in bullying reports amongst children in year 8 and year 10. In better news, 40% of pupils surveyed believe their school now takes bullying seriously, a significant increase in the 26% figure from 2019. There has also been a significant uplift in the numbers of young people who cycle or walk to school, from 26% in the 2016 survey to 40% in 2022. Year 6 pupils walk or cycle the most. In terms of health, 40% of those surveyed admitted to trying vaping, although cigarette usage was down at only 15%. More Year 10 girls vape than Year 10 boys. The survey is completed every three years. Finally, Sir David Attenborough has praised Sunderland University's decision to join BAFTA's Albert Education Partnership to teach students the importance of creating sustainable content. Students on Sunderland's MA Media Production Programme will benefit from teaching on topics such as the science of climate change, the environmental impact of the film and TV industries, sustainable pro production practices and creating content with strategic environmental purpose. Sir David said that saving the planet is now a communications challenge. Whilst Gary Stubbs, leader of the MA programme at Sunderland, said the university's film and TV department is set to take green issues to task. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And we are back, dear listeners, after the news. I hope you enjoyed it. So, we mentioned developing a well-rounded leadership style. So, how do we do that? There is a very interesting author called Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. He's a British-American writer. He was born in the UK and now in Wimbledon, and now he teaches at um, Brandeis University. So, 
is um, very interesting leader who talks about um, optimism. And in his book, he, 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 there's a great quote. I really like it. It says, a boss has the title, a leader has the people. So this sums up exactly what a leader is. A leader is, is only, is only power is to guide people and he can't do anything on his own. You can't be a leader if you work on your own, you work with people. So it's definitely, you need to have people's skills to be a leader and there's no way around it. Now, the critical challenges that we face in most organizations and in institutions and same in schools have been um, analyzed in a people's trend in 2020. It's in Canada, but I think it's quite valuable research. It's done by psychometrics. So they surveyed human resource professionals from more than 300 Canadian organizations, very different range very different company sizes and at all levels of um, the working sector in Canada. And they asked the human resource professional to answer questions. And the questions were, what are the most critically important issues for companies or organizations? 53% of human resource professionals said that leadership development was the most important issue for organizations. After that, at 53%, or equally, I should say, it's the same number, it's employee engagement. And then 50% employee development. So you can see the main issues were leadership development, employee engagement, employee development, and after that, 45%, employee diversity and inclusion. So I think this is relevant to anyone, not just Canadian organizations, it's for everybody. We need very good leadership, very good employee retention and engagement, and then we need a diverse workplace or school, an inclusive one. And without this, we cannot function. Another organization, the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is an EU institution. It has 38 member countries and it was founded in 1961 to stimulate economic progress and world trade. So the OECD has done a teaching and learning international survey and they asked 260,000 teachers and school leaders about leadership roles in their school. So it's teachers from all over the world, not just EU teachers. We have teachers from Chile, from South America, from France, from Canada, from everywhere. They just ask them, what do you think makes a good leadership? So I'll give you some very good example of what good leadership is. So there is Paul Erhayen, who is a school leader in Belgium. And he said, I quote, with regard to participation, it's important that every teacher feels they're helping to shape their schools, that it's not just the principal imposing a number of ideas that have to be implemented by the teachers. That's definitely, Paul Verheyen is definitely in, um, he's in for the democratic leadership style, for sure, but maybe also for the coaching and the affiliative 
style of leadership. Now there's another school leader, and this lady is called Mari Vorisalo, and she is from Finland. So she's a Finnish professional in schools. And she says, as a school leader, I create spaces and opportunities for planning together, and I encourage experimentation. So I would say Mary Vorisalo, she's saying that she's working at pace setting. She's allowing her staff to have the time to work together. And she's also um, coercive in a way because she makes them work together. But, you know, you can't have result with a, a bit of discipline. So coercive leadership is also very useful. And now we go to France with Angélique Sanz. Angélique Sanz is a school leader in France. And she says she's a bit like Marie Voracilla sorry, Marie Vuorisalo. She's a little bit like her. She organizes what she calls these blue hours. So l'heure bleue. And she says that these blue hours allow all the staff to sit together and advance collectively. So there is a bit of coaching, there's a bit of democratic, and there's a bit of coercive, as well as affiliative in these practices from Finland and from France where teachers work together and have time to reflect on their practice and their values. Now, what they thought when they asked 260,000 school leaders what made good leadership, they saw that teachers, when they feel autonomous and when they feel they can teach the way they want with a higher sense of autonomy, they feel valued, they feel respected, they feel more confident about their teaching effectiveness and they feel more satisfied with their jobs. So it seems that hiring professionals and then trusting them to do the job makes them feel empowered and happy to go to work. So if we know what makes a good leader, if we have writing from Daniel Goldman and Simon Sinek and many, many other people who've thought about leadership in companies and also in schools, and if we have good examples from Finland, from Belgium, from France and other countries, how come it feels like education is in disarray? Whose fault is it? Is it the leader's fault? Or maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe we should ask, is it the way we choose leaders that is wrong and not so much the leaders which we have chosen? I'm gonna quote someone um, who is very important in um, the education sector at the moment in the UK. And um, I think it's Tom Rogers, who is um, really good at pointing out the difficulties that teachers face. Tom Rogers explored the idea of toxicity in school and he created a very, very useful resource, is Toxicity Radar. It's, for, according to me, the best tool for measuring if your school environment is toxic. And I guess it can work for other co corporations or companies, but it is definitely targeted at educators. I've used this tool to measure if my school was toxic. And a few years back, I realized that I lived in, I worked in a school environment that was toxic and then I acted and left the school and changed school and it's much better now. So I encourage any educators 
who are feeling a bit down to check the toxicity radar by Tom Rogers online. It's simple. You go from a big circle that's green and then it decreases in size and goes to red in the middle. And the, the closer you are to the red school, the, to the red circle, the more toxic your school is. So there's statements on the circle. If you're green, you're going to say, I feel understood and I can be open about um, my work. I feel very comfortable to challenge and disagree. Uh, I very rarely dread work. And then the closer you get to the center of the circle, when it gets red, it says, I dread going to work almost every day. I feel incredibly stressed. I'm being bullied, etc. So you can measure how much um, you are in an environment that supports you or how much you're in an environment that destroys your self-confidence really. So please check um, Tom Rock's toxicity radar. There's another very useful tool called uh, the Teacher Toolkit and this is someone who's very active, uh, Mr. McGill, very active on Twitter, at Teacher Toolkit where he describes eight characteristics of a toxic school. So I'll read them for you. How to say if a school environment is toxic? Well, first, high staff turnover. As I said, if all the teachers are 25 and they don't stay more than two years in the school, this is not a good school. So high staff turnover, a sinking school, poor grades, poor behavior, teachers who don't stay for a whole year. A hothouse school, so a school that only cares about exam results and not so much about the welfare of the students and the adults who work in it. Repeated restructuring, so constantly trying to change the staff, the, the teachers, the timetables. There's an issue and changing it all the time is not going to solve it. Bureaucracy, yeah, if there's too much paperwork, we drown in paper. Teaching culture, which is balkanized. So it means people are not working together. There's cliques. There's people who don't address each other. Departments who refuse to work with other departments. It's just unpleasant and unnecessary. A teaching culture, which is very individualistic. I'm teaching that way. I'm not sharing my resources. I don't want to know what's going on in the rest of the school. I'm not helping new colleagues, etc. And then finally, a groupthink mentality where people apply um, rhetoric and dogma instead of thinking for themselves and creating a good, positive school environment. So with these two tools, you can check if your school is toxic or not. The teacher toolkit and the toxicity radar by Tom Rogers, the latter, and the former by Mr. McGill. There's a great um, video conference that is available on YouTube entitled Challenging Toxicity, How to Challenge and Resist Toxic School Cultures with Ross McGill, Tom Rogers. I've watched it live and it really helped me in my personal development as an educator. So anyone, just go on YouTube and type Challenging Toxicity how to challenge and resist toxic schools cultures. If you're struggling with your mental health, this might be the best tool you can find at the moment. Now, as I said earlier, it might not be because we don't have good school leaders that we're struggling in schools at the moment. 
It might just be because we don't choose the right leaders. So I'm just going to say that if you look at statistics, most workers in schools are women. 63% of all teaching staff in English state-funded secondary schools are female, and it's maybe even more in primary school. This means that this is a very feminine, feminized sector, the education sector. Now, if you look at the number of head teachers who happen to be female, the figures are very different. If most of the staff is female in secondary schools, it happens that only 38% of head teachers are female. So, what's going on? Well, it seems that there is more men in management than women, and more women on the front line than men. So it means that we have 1,400 of England's 3,700 state secondary schools and academies that are headed by women. So we have a majority of leaders who are male. The gender ratio for all secondary school teaching staff in England suggests that this should be closer to 2,330 female head teachers if we followed that feminized profession, and yet it isn't. So the landscape of leadership in the education in the UK is not reflecting the workforce. The landscape of leadership in education shows gender inequality in leadership teams with female head teachers in state schools when they are female head teachers earning on average 5,700 less pounds than their male equivalents. So gender pay gap still very, very much there. The Office, uh, the office for National Statistics showed that women in the profession are paid on average 18.4 less than men. So we have a lot of gender inequality in leadership in UK schools. What could stop this? Well, obviously you could put in place a few changes in an attempt to make it more equal. You could improve maternity cover. You could allow part-time position because if you have children, um, you can't really have a full-time job plus all the extras that leadership create. You could encourage sharing the role with co-partnership having two head teachers instead of one. You could also spot women of talent, women who show signs of being leaders and support them in their career so that they can get to these positions of leadership in UK schools. Or more drastically, you could make sure all school leaders have a better work-life balance, which would allow more women to consider the job. Now, we are all familiar with uh, Lean In, Women, Work and the Will to Lead, which was a book written by Nels Covell and Sheryl Sandberg. Sheryl Sandberg became an internet sensation in 2010 when she did a TED talk. And then she published that book, Lean In. It's been criticized and it's been 
a bit of a caricature, but if you listen to it again, it was just pointing at the obvious. The fact that women are still not represented in leadership positions and why. Now, her analysis is very, shall I say, American corporate. It's putting the onus on women. Women should push themselves more. Women should voice, take more power, take more space. They should lean in. They should lean forward. They should get more attention. That was basically what she was saying which puts all the responsibility on women's shoulders again. But saying that, I noticed on her website, website, https, um, column, slash, slash, leanin.org, there is a lot of resources for free. So if you're a woman and you want to consider leadership in a state school in the UK, you can follow these free CPDs. There's one on the 27th of February, 50 Ways to Fight Bias. There's another one in March, Allyship at Work, Moderator Training, and another one called How to Bring Lean-In Circles to Your Company. So she wants you to basically bring change from your workplace, from within, with these free CPDs. So check leanin.org if you're interested in leadership position and you happen to be a woman. But I'm not just looking at what corporate America is telling us to do. I want to know more about how we choose leaders. And there's another TED talk that's really useful if you want to know more. It's The Science of Women's Leadership by Alexis Kander Olmsted. So she's been teaching at university, teaching leadership. What a vast subject. So she says, and I quote, women's lack of confidence is nothing new. Men's overconfidence is nothing new. So this is a bit of a deadly cocktail, isn't it? Women lack confidence, their male counterparts are overconfident, so that creates an imbalance. Now, Alexis says there are internal barriers that stop women from becoming leaders. And she discusses them in her TED talk. She says there's a fear of leading. One in three girls she talked to are afraid to lead. It's according to leanin.org, this um, one in three stats. And the main fear for girls, uh, for women, is that they fear that they're not going to be liked or respected. They're going to be seen as too pushy and too aggressive, which are positive male traits, but seen as negative when it's a female who is showing these traits. And also you could argue that a lot of women see what happens to other women on social media with the abuse, the death threats, the rape threats. And at a lower level, when you see the way some female school leaders are treated on the internet, I can understand their reticence to join in the leadership team. But as I said earlier, if we don't have an education system that works, is it just the school leader's fault? Or is this a different question we need to ask? We've been talking about gender inequality for decades, and we know that most women on the front line in the NHS or in schools do not get to positions of powers where they could bring some change. In Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg was telling women to be more pushy and to put themselves forward for jobs but we were telling women what to do, weren't we? So what can we do 
to change this status quo. Well, there's another amazing TED Talks that I recommend you watching if you have the time, and it's entitled Relationship Between Gender, Personality and Leadership. And its author is Tomas Chamaro Premucci, and he's from Chile, and he's got a lovely um, Chilean accent. Um, he's an organizational psychologist, and he works in areas of personality profiling, people analytics, and talent identification. And he's also working on human and artificial intelligence and leadership development. So he did a TED talk, and he said in his TED talk, why? Do so many incompetent men become leaders? So obviously he's a bit controversial in the in the way he asked the the friend he framed the question. What he means is, is it really the school leaders that are at fault when there's a problem in a school? Or is it just the way we hire, the way we value some personality traits when we make a decision to hire a leader? And I think it's a very important question. In his TED talk, he says that the question is not why are there so many male leaders and more male leaders than female leaders? The question should be, why do we have a lot of incompetent leaders? And why do they happen to be male a lot of the time? Well, he develops a very, very good argument in his talk, Thomas Chamorro. He says that, when we choose a leader, we confuse confidence with competence. If someone is full of confidence, we're going to think he knows his stuff. Well, does he? And also, he says that we want charismatic leaders, and charisma is something you can't bottle up, but it's not something that's a sign of efficiency or uh, good craftsmanship. Um, Thomas also says that we admire narcissists and we give them a lot of opportunities. He also says that when we hire someone, we have unconscious biases. For instance, um, I just watched Erin Brockovich, you know that movie from 2000 with Julie Roberts, and people criticized her because of the way she dressed. She dressed in a quite a suggestive, sexy way, and people didn't see her as a professional because she was young and she was dressed in a seduct seductive way. So we have unconscious bias. We are more likely to trust a man in a suit than a woman dressed in a sexy way. And Thomas in his TED talk also says, we have a flawed vision of leadership archetypes. We value the male uh, leadership archetypes, such as a man who is bold, sometimes aggressive, um, very quick thinking on his feet, and someone who doesn't doubt himself. These are leadership archetypes that are not a sign of good leadership. Maybe we see leadership as something that is more influenced by patriarchy than by efficiency. What are the good quality traits to become a leader? As we saw with Daniel Goldman, it was about competence, humility, integrity. Well, women score higher than men on a lot of these traits. It might sound controversial, but if you look at university results, women have higher grades universally. And yet, they are not in positions of power. Because humility and integrity isn't what sells. 
is a very interesting point, isn't it? To be a leader is a daily practice. This can't be measured over a short amount of time. You can't decide, oh, this leader is amazing because you did this yesterday or this last week. No, leadership is the long term. So you need a long stretch of time to decide if someone is a good leader or not. It's not about intensity. It's about involvement. Is someone consistently supportive of their staff? Is someone consistently uh, full of integrity, transparent in the decision-making process, fair? Is someone able as a leader to have self-awareness? Someone able to say sorry when they make a mistake and learn from their mistakes? Good leadership is about working with people, not ruling them, not belittling them, and not dismissing them. To me, the best example of a very poor leader is Donald Trump, because he's got all these visions of the patriarchy, someone overconfident, someone who makes decisions on the spot, someone who, who doesn't really care about the impact of his decision. And this used to be valued, and it's still valued in many, many, many places. We confused Donald Trump's confidence with his competence. He was very charismatic. Just, show, just see his shows when he's talking to thousands of people. They were all riveted. He is the most potent example of narcissism. He's full of biases, and yet he was elected. And there's still people who follow him and support him. I think this is the issue with leadership. We look at a very old-fashioned model, an archetype of a male leader. And then we think this is going to be the best leader we need for schools. It, it doesn't work. So, what sort of leader do we want when we look for a leader? Now, you might not be aware, but there's something trending on Twitter at the moment. And it is an assistant head teacher uh, job search on TES. TES is a website that you, teachers use for resources and also for finding jobs. I'm not going to name the school, uh, but there there is a school in Sheffield where they're looking for an assistant head teacher. And it's quite tongue in cheek, but I'm going to take the time to read you uh, the, the actual job search. So this is for someone who's going to be a school leader. Assistant head teacher. This role will be tailored to the strengths of the successful candidate and the commencement date is the 1st of September 2023. I am seeking a highly talented individual to join my school. Therefore, I am open-minded to your particular niche and expertise. You do not need to have previous senior leadership experience for this role. However, leading from the front is attractive to us. At our school, there are no contradictions. Everything is aligned. We need it to stay this way. The successful candidate will ooze leadership in their interactions. They will be a great orator. We want someone who handles authority well, is willing to hold the line and lead with bravery when needed. We don't underestimate the power of vision and direction. 
These are irresistible forces, able to transform obstacles into new pathways forward. The successful candidate must dream big, but also make things happen. We want someone who rolls up their sleeves, a doer and a grafter. Not just a visionary, but someone who also walks the hard yards. Leading by example is a must for us. Can you work for us? We are very protective of our culture and want a like-minded individual who will work ridiculously hard to deliver for our pupils. When I state ridiculously hard, I mean it. You will have to live and breathe as a school and be wedded to it. It may dominate your life on occasions. Ask yourself before applying, are you okay with the team contacting you in the evening? Meeting in holidays and being prepared to do detentions on a Saturday morning. Can you cope with huge demands throughout the day, which include teaching a high load, managing pastoral issues and being on alert from 7am through until 6pm once we have walked the pupils safely down the road and finished detentions. High energy and sacrifice are required to excel in this position at our school. We cannot carry anyone. We need a commitment from our assistant head teacher to stay until the job is done. In many schools, the role of assistant head teacher is seen as an easier job than the curriculum leader, especially in the core subjects. Not here. This job is a market step up and you will feel the pressure to perform. You will lead without fear or favour, displaying candour and a constant drive to improve performance. We are all about marginal gains. With us, we believe you will also thrive and excel. The senior team is a genuine team with high ambitions. You will be welcome and supported within the team. We are unapologetic in doing all we can for disadvantaged young people. We are driven by our mission. We want you to be too. Not put off? Fantastic. You could be what we're looking for. Unquote. So this was for a school leader in a school in Sheffield. Now, I was reading this and I was smirking as I was reading it. And, and I'm sure you heard it in the tone of my voice. There is so many red flags. There is the pronoun I, which sometimes merges into a we, which makes me think that it's the head teacher who wrote this piece. It is full of the linguo, you know, the leadership styles. There is the word visionary, there is vision, there are um, the goals, uh, but also the hard work, walking the hard yards, leading by example. There's a lot of the managing and this is something that shocks me a lot. I, I don't think it's so pregnant in France, but in England, the corporate terminology is so entrenched in education. It, it feels like it could be for a bank um, job or a clerk in a civil servant position. We have um, terms such as managing and we have uh, meetings and also you know, directions and visions. It's it's very expertise, you know, this is this is really corporate language. Um and then we have the old patriarchy archetype 
of the leader. Lead with bravery, I imagine, on the horse. Um, someone who rolls up their sleeves. It's kind of a 1950s vision of workmanship, isn't it? Someone who oozes leadership. That's an unfortunate metaphor there. Um, so yeah, I'm not convinced this is going to be popular, but I mean, who am I to, to say that? What the red flag is that first, there's absolutely nothing about work-life balance. It's dedication to the point of sacrifice, it's having no private life, it's being involved from dawn to dusk, literally in winter times. And to me, this smacks of bad management because we want a school where you can do your job in your allocated hours and then you can forget about your job. We are human beings. We are not human doings. So this is maybe the sign that is wrong with our education system. If we want someone who's going to take teaching or being assistant head teacher as um, almost joining the orders or like in the military, you know, we can't ask our children to have good mental health and to take care of their well-being if the staff are working ridiculously hard. And I quote again, I think we should be protective of our health and our sanity and the children's health and sanity more than culture. A school culture that praises overworking is a toxic school culture. Because we are not here just to tick boxes and work all day long. We are here for not so many years and we're here to do our best, but also enjoy our time. So I think this, this is typical of what's wrong in our current education system. In one job search, we have all the issues of leadership in a toxic environment. We have someone who is praising sacrifice, um, praising overworking, no life balance, to, com to accomplish what? Because at the end of the day, we are here to model. We need to be good models, good role models for the students. And I don't want my students to sacrifice their lives and their hobbies and their family. I want my students to enjoy their work and know that it's work because living is not working. I'm just hoping you find this an interesting show. We could talk about leadership a lot. And I think I'm going to talk about leadership again. But for today, I think I'm done. I did talk about these six archetypes from Daniel Goldman, which are coercive leadership, affiliative leadership, democratic leadership, pace setting leadership, and um, the coaching leadership. And remember, these can only work together. There is no such thing as one style of leadership. It will just not work. So being a leader is being flexible. Being a leader is being adaptable. And being a leader is dealing with people. It's not just ruling. And it's not being charismatic. We're not in the 1930s. We don't need that type of patriarchal leader anymore. We need someone who is caring, empathetic, and also can be authoritative when needed. But we need someone who cares about their staff first and who cares about their students just as much. By extension, 
that will care about the local community as well. I think if we if we work stuff too hard, we're not going to take care of students well either. I, I think we can't associate staff and students. So for me, a good leader should be inclusive, should be encouraging diversity, should also be politicized because a leader who doesn't who chooses not to choose is someone who is maybe not honest with their with themselves. Um, leaders are faced in a situation where their budgets are cut and they have to make decisions that are detrimental to the students and the staff they work with. If you accept it, you condone it. So definitely a leader is someone who has to have a voice and has to be visionary as well, not complacent. Anyway, that's it for today. I hope you find it interesting, at least enlightening. If you have anything to say, please reach out. I'm on Twitter at ProfProfMFL. It was a delight to spend some time with you. And I'm going to leave you with the news so that you know everything about what's going on in the world. And I wish you a lovely Sunday evening. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. STV reports that a council in Scotland could become the first to open schools for four days per week. According to the report, West Dunbartonshire Council is currently considering the proposals alongside a range of other measures as part of a bid to plug a £15 million funding gap. Currently, primary schools in the county are open to pupils from 9am to 3pm each day, with secondary schools running an asymmetric week with seven periods on Mondays and Tuesdays and six periods daily Wednesday to Friday. The new proposals would see primaries open Monday to Thursday with hours of 8.30am to 3.45pm and secondary schools running an eight-period day, Monday to Thursday, beginning at 8.20am and ending at 4.10pm. The plans were shared with parents and are for the 2023-24 academic year. The other proposals being considered for education across the council are a reduction in the number of learning assistants, a review of grants for uniform, removal of breakfast clubs in primary schools and swimming lessons for pupils in primary four. Western Bartonshire Council says the plans would have no impact on teaching time or teacher numbers, but that savings would be made in costs for transport and energy usage. It does acknowledge that the proposals may impact upon childcare arrangements for parents and that consideration must be given to support vulnerable children. Plans for fifth-day provision for those children is being explored. The plans are likely to find favour with unions during June 2022's AGM for Education Institute Scotland, delegates backed a motion calling for a move to a four-day week, stating that it could improve the standard of teacher well-being. There is some concern, however, on the possible impact of the sort of move on those with non-teaching roles in schools. 
the Council will consider proposals during a meeting on March the 1st, 2023, before any further steps to consultation can be taken. The Channel Island of Guernsey has released the finding of its latest Young People Survey. The results seem to indicate that vaping in schools is on the rise and that there has been an increase in bullying reports amongst children in Year 8 and Year 10. In better news, 40% of pupils surveyed believe their school now takes bullying seriously, a significant increase in the 26% figure from 2019. There has also been a significant uplift in the numbers of young people who cycle or walk to school, from 26% in the 2016 survey to 40% in 2022. Year 6 pupils walk or cycle the most. In terms of health, 40% of those surveyed admitted to trying vaping, although cigarette usage was down at only 15%. More Year 10 girls vape than Year 10 boys. The survey is completed every three years. Finally, Sir David Attenborough has praised Sunderland University's decision to join BAFTA's Albert Education Partnership to teach students the importance of creating sustainable content. Students on Sunderland's MA Media Production Programme will benefit from teaching on topics such as the science of climate change, the environmental impact of the film and TV industries, sustainable pro production practices and creating content with strategic environmental purpose. Sir David said that saving the planet is now a communications challenge. Whilst Gary Stubbs, leader of the MA programme at Sunderland, said the university's film and TV department is set to take green issues to task. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. I'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.